In the name of the King, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has come, who is among us and will come again. God's grace to you and peace in the name of Jesus. Amen. The gospel lesson, once again, is our text. Last Sunday, it was the first 14 verses or 13 verses of the text. This week, the middle, and yes, predictably next week, when Pastor Fortkamp brings the sermon, it will be the last part of Matthew 25. The whole chapter is about the same thing. The return of our Lord Jesus Christ at an unexpected time, perhaps perhaps even before we finish this wonderful time of worship together. Our Lord Jesus Christ is coming, and it is a day of judgment, of wrath against those who do not stand in His righteousness, of glory and expectation, peace and hope for all who do stand in His righteousness and His righteousness alone. Throughout this chapter, we're seeing that there are two kinds of people. There are all kinds of jokes I think I could try to make now about particular baseball teams and things like that as we've had this little bit of tension among us this past year of being together. But that's not the two kinds of people of which I'm thinking There are two kinds of people. There are, for instance, those people who need a Band-Aid and those people who are ready to give a Band-Aid. Sometime in Boy Scouts, our scoutmaster, Mr. Keith Miller, taught us boys and dads always carry a Band-Aid with you in your billfold. And I think unless I've depleted the supply It's true right now. I'm one of those people who almost always has a Band-Aid ready. There are two kinds of people. Those people who need jumper cables for their car battery and those kind of people who just always have them with us. Lest you think that this introduction to the sermon is somehow uh, some kind of a brag about me being ready. I am not one of those people who've carried jumper cables always in my car, and I found myself needing the other person. There are two kinds of people. In the, old, in the Sunday gospel last week, we saw in the parable of the ten virgins, there are those people who carry extra oil and those who don't. But of course, the parable wasn't really about oil, was it? It was about preparedness in Christ. There are two kinds of people. That's what Jesus is teaching with the parable of the talents, another parable that has to do with an unexpected arrival, but a rival for sure. The parable of the, of the talents portrays the Lord Jesus Christ as the great giver. Yes, he is judge, but it makes it exceedingly clear he is the giver. He entrusts what he owns to his dear servants, and he does it with grace. In the parable 
three servants, but really only two kinds of servants. To one is given five talents, and let's make this clear. Talents, in this case, do not mean those particular skills that you're given. God has given you talents, and yet that's not the kind of talent of which we're speaking. No, in the parable, this is some measurement of money, as the front of the bulletin shows. But it is symbolic, isn't it, of everything that the Lord has given. To one talent, to one servant, five talents, to another two, to another one. And the key point in the parable is that this master comes back and that there is an accounting for what they've done with the gifts that have been given. The Lord Jesus Christ gives gifts, and they're all gifts. I don't get what I deserve when I get good things. I get what He's graced to us. Eternal things, and yes, temporal things that are good by His grace are given by His grace. And He gives. Sometimes a lot. Five talents in the parable. And sometimes a little. And then there is this reckoning, this accounting in the temple, in the parable, in the parable. This reckoning, this moment when He comes back And there is what has been done. The Lord Jesus Christ calls for fidelity, faithfulness on the part of His receivers. His talents, they make more. If the talents here are symbolic of the good news about Jesus Christ, the gospel, I am certain of this. The gospel makes disciples. The gospel does the work. Pastors and parents don't, but we get get to share the gospel with those who need to hear, and the gospel makes more. The gospel multiplies. And it's remarkable, not even fair, that the one who brings back Five more, two more, receives even more. But as we said last week in the gospel, this is one of those texts which has an element to it that is horrible. That moment at which one of those servants stands in his own righteousness, stands in his own failure, in his own sin, and says, I feared you, and so I buried it. And the Lord tells the parable in such a way that you shudder to hear, cast that worthless servant out into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Our Lord is teaching the reality of hell. We can't get around it. We take him at his word we recognize that there are two kinds of people. Those who will be with the Lord forever and those who will not. Well done, good and faithful servant. 
is that well-worn, and I do mean well-worn phrase used in the parable, well done, good and faithful servant. There's irony in that because every one of us has not always been faithful or good, but one, one has. The irony in the parable is that the one who's telling the parable is the good and faithful one. He did not bury his treasure. He did not play it safe and take no risks. Rather, he allowed himself the gift to be buried to suffer and die after only suffering under Pontius Pilate, suffering all of my sloth, all of my wickedness, all of yours, and suffering for the whole world. He allowed himself to be buried to forgive all of our wickedness, sloth, unpreparedness, and indifference. And all of it, all of it was buried with him to be forgiven and even forgotten because of the one good and faithful servant. It's a parable that ought to make us shudder to hear the law and rejoice to hear the gospel. The gospel in that undeserved welcome when Jesus says in the parable, enter into the joy of your master. Hmm, what does that mean? Is it the joy that the master has over having his servants with him? Or is it the joy that the servants have in being with the master forever? You know, of course, that the answer is yes. Remember Hebrews chapter 12. The writer says, let us keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. That joy before him was you and slothful, wicked servants like me, gathered and arrayed in his righteousness and with him forever. And yes, that joy of your master refers to our joy of being with him. Remember Jesus saying in the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. It is, of course, a reward bought for you given to you. As Paul says when he writes to the Corinthians, what do you have that you haven't received? We receive. It's all gift. It's hardly fair because we get what we don't deserve. And as Jesus tells the parable, it's clear that even more is going to be given. I can hardly imagine. There are two kinds of people. There are masters and there are servants.
That's the way of the world. That's also the way of the kingdom of God. And yet in the kingdom of God, the wonderful irony is that the master takes the role of a servant and gives his life as the ransom for many. He becomes the good and the faithful servant to give sinners like you and like your neighbors his goodness, his faithfulness, so that those who are clothed in his righteous can hear words that we have not deserved, but we certainly have received. Enter into the joy of your master. Amen. The peace which surpasses understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus until that day when you fully enter into the joy of your master. Amen.